The Sandman's hopes for the red, white, and blue are based around one word, do. And to add another, make it two, do more. Because hustle is what we're raised on and it's what we're praised for. As we rack up the score until we're certainly sure, right down to our core, it's more. And the same is true with God. Do more for him, get closer to him. Do more for him, get more from him. It's more, I'm sure that's right, but it's wrong. See, even though every relationship we have is transactional and reactional, because that's rational, like, hi, how can I help you today? Welcome to the bank of relational capital. Would you like to make a withdrawal deposit or check your balance? Because that's trackable and cashable. Do more for each other to get more from each other. Do more for God to get more from God. Yeah, it's practical, but it's tragical. And thank God that it's not actual. Thank God his love is something different. It's radical. It's unfathomable and it's ungraspable. It's irrational and it's impractical. See, because God wants you. And it's not conditional based on what you do, but it's unconditional because of who he is. Your hustle for more won't come through, but he will come through for you because you are his. Don't build your faith on a house of cars full of bricks because truth will come and truth will blow that house over and then ask, what's this? Because it's not about boxes to check or a bulleted list. But his love is with no strings attached. It's limitless. But even that doesn't sound like enough. Because my words can't describe. Because God's love for you is exactly that. It's for you. And when you receive it, it'll make you come alive. Tell you that spoken word piece is really a great setup for where we're going today as we just really talk about what God's love is and what it isn't. And so um, let me be the second on this stage to welcome you to 2019, right? Can we give 2019 a hand? It's going to be a really good year. I have been really processing through this coming year as a whole and kind of been processing through what do, what do I want and what do we as a church want for you this year? And um, I've come up with one thing. It's like, I want this year to be a year of growth for you. Just a year of, of growth, spiritually, first and foremost, is, is that you might grow spiritually. But if, if you're married, that your marriage would grow, in your parenting that you would grow, in your career that you would grow, in your relationships with other people that you would grow, in your feelings and thoughts about yourself. I want this year to be a year of growth for you. And at the same time, I want it to be a year of growth for me. Because see, what's interesting is this line on the front of the stage doesn't mean has it together, doesn't have it together. That's not the way this works. It's like there's no line on the stage. It's we all don't have it together. We all need to grow. And my hope is, is that we grow together for the whole year as individuals and also as a church. And that's why I'm excited about um, the series that we're starting this weekend. It's called The Road Home. And it really is about the road back to what God originally intended as far as the church and his people, and you and I are concerned. It's about what Jesus came to show us, and then what happened after he left earth and is still happening today, and how we can actually move our lives towards God's intentions for us. And it started with what we talked about at Christmas. If you're back from Christmas, welcome back. Um, 
What Jesus came to show us started at Christmas, where Jesus, God in the flesh, came to earth to show us what God is like. He lived here for 33 years, three of those in public ministry, and then he died on the cross, was resurrected from the dead, and says, to anyone who believes in him, they too will be resurrected from the dead with him and live in eternity with him. And his life and his message and his death and his resurrection had an enormous impact 2,000 years ago that is still rippling through today. And you find what happened after he ascended into heaven in the book of Acts. You find it in the book of Acts. It's the fifth book of the New Testament. And here is, is, is what it is. In the Bible, you have the four books, uh, the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, they are all telling many of the same stories about Jesus. If you want to know Jesus' autobiography, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And they're all written about him and his story. And why there's four of them is because they each have a little different perspective. Um, in fact, uh, it's the same way as if, uh, how many of you guys saw Aquaman over the break? Anybody see Aquaman? Okay, a few of you, did any of you love Aquaman? Like, like wow, that's the best movie I've ever seen. Okay, there's like two, two. I, I thought it was okay. I thought it was good. Like, it's worth seeing. Um, but, you know, don't go to the movie theaters with like the layback chairs because they're more expensive. Just go to the, like the cheaper ones because it's a good movie, not great. It's not worth the layback chairs. Um, but it's, it's, it's a good movie. Um, but here's the thing. If you and I went and saw the movie and someone came and asked us to tell them about the movie, we would tell them about the movie, but we would have different takes on it. We would have a different perspective. We would tell them different details. And all we did was sit about 24 inches apart. But our perspectives are different. That's the New Testament, uh, the four books of the gospel. They're each told from different point of view that are a little bit different, just like it would be in real life if you and I talked about the same thing to one person. Um, and so, so um, you get the fourth gospel, John. Jesus ascends to heaven at the end of it. And then the next... The next book, something very, very interesting begins to happen. You have this movement of people in the book of Acts, which comes right after John in Acts 2. They began to be called the church. And it was an amazing thing. People uh, accepted the truth of Jesus and then began to spend time together in relationships that weren't all about taking, but were about giving. They began to be generous with their stuff in crazy ways. Joy infiltrated this group of thousands of people. They sang and worshiped Jesus. And starting in verse 20, 42, we get a glimpse into what was happening in this new church. The very first church, Acts 2.42, they, the thousands of people who were now Jesus followers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer, everyone was filled with awe at the many wondrous, uh, wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people, whether they were in the church or out of the church. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Um, and I'm just, if you're wondering um, about the name of our new facility that will be opening soon, we are calling it the 246. It's uh, on, on uh, Dillard Street and Highway 50. Um, we're calling it the 246. It's about 4,000 square feet of space. It's ministry space and it's offices for our staff. It's going to become a hub of activity. But we're calling it the 246 for a couple reasons. One, is, is the other six days of the week, 24-6, the other 24 hours a day, six days a week, where do you find us? Where do we meet? We meet at the 246. But there's also another reason. When you go to Acts 2, verse 46, it says this, if you can pull it up, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. 
Acts 2.46. We want to have a place where every day of the week people are meeting that, that love Jesus or need Jesus. They're meeting together and learning and growing in their relationship with him. So when you hear us use the name of the 246, that's what it's referring to, this miraculous time in the beginning of the church where Christians for the first time started meeting together regularly as the, as the church. What happened in Acts 2 was, was special, it was new, it was different kind of movement in the world than the world had ever seen, um, but it would soon come under attack from within, which we're going to get into in just a minute. But let me pray for us before we dive in kind of to the meat of the day. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for being who you are for a new year, for a way to draw a line in the sand of our lives and, and, and look ahead at a year of growth. And Lord, I pray that it would be that for us, each one of us, that you would grow us in every area of our life. Lord, I pray that you would um, teach us new things and help us to become more mature in the areas that we're immature and help us to become more wise in the areas that we struggle. Lord, help us to grow as, as people, as followers of yours, as a church. And Lord, right now, I pray that you would just speak uniquely to each one of us in a way that only you can, because you know exactly what we need to hear. And so, Lord, I just invite you to fill this room with your presence and to speak through me as we open your word in your holy name. Amen. So today's title is titled, Not a Religion, But a Relationship. Jesus didn't come to earth to start a new religion. He came to earth to establish a new relationship with us, and it began with a bang. First church in Acts was beautiful, exciting, but very quickly after that, and over the past 2,000 years, something began to shift and destroy some of the beauty of the first church, and it is religion began to work its way into the DNA of the church. Religion began to worm its way in between people. And let me just tell you what religion is, because maybe you're like, well, this is a religious meeting, is it? I hope it's never a religious meeting. I hope this will never become a religious meeting at this church. I mean, I hope that it never is a religious meeting at any church. Why? Because a religion is any system that says, this is the system that you have to operate under for God to like you. That's a religious system. Any system that says if you don't hit these marks and you don't do these things, then you can't get to God. God won't love you. That is religion, and any system like that needs to die because it will never, ever get you closer to God. It'll get you closer to rules, and it'll get you closer to being a good churchgoer, but not closer to God. It may make you feel good because you're checking boxes. You will become a good checker of the boxes. That's what you will become if you do that. Now, I have a very long history with religion. Um, I grew up Catholic. I did my first communion. Um, and then I was an altar boy for the shortest stint in the history of altar boys, okay? I, uh, I was altar boy my very first time being an altar boy, the very first service I ever was an altar boy. I mean, I had the robe. I had the little thing. I was all, I had my whole like outfit on, and I'm bringing the holy water up to the priest, and I was so nervous, I was shaking, I spilled some of the holy water, and the holy water was so holy, it burned through the floor into the basement. It was crazy. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Um, but what happened is I spilled some of the holy water, the whole place, this priest says something, and the whole place laughs. I quit. I quit being an altar boy. I was like, I'm out. I'm done. I flunked the altar boy test in the very first one, so I was one and done as an altar boy. And then we kind of moved from my dad in with my mom, and we started going to Protestant churches. Um, and, and it's, uh, we, we, we went 
went to church all the time. We went Sunday morning, we went Sunday night, we went Wednesday night, we went to any singles ministry that was open at any night of the week because my mom was looking for a guy. Okay, that's what we did. We went religiously, pun intended. Um, over, over the years, and, and so over the years, what I've found um, is that there are plenty of people who don't necessarily have a problem with God. I meet a lot of people that don't have a problem with God, but they do have a problem with organized religion. You meet anybody like that? Maybe you are somebody like that. Maybe you left the church a long time ago because organized religion ran you out of the church and you haven't been back and you're dipping your toe back into it right now. But I was at our, I was at the 246 on Friday. Um, you're going to hear that a lot. I was at the 246 and uh, the guy that was doing stucco on the back wall, we got to talking and he was like, hey, what do you do here? You know, and, 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 uh, and I'm telling him, you know, we're a church and this is what we're going to do during the week and da, 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 da. And he's like, man, he's like, I'm all about God and I, I do my thing, but I'm not about religion. I hate organized religion. And I'm like, you know what? I'm a pastor and just listen to me. Me too. And he's like, what? I'm like, I hate organized religion. Why? Because Jesus hated religion. He was constantly speaking out against the religious leaders. He was against the power and control that they imposed over people. They had put together 600 rules that you had to follow to be considered righteous or acceptable by God. And they used those rules to place themselves above everybody else. When someone converted... They would tell them, follow these 600 plus laws or God won't like you. Follow these 600 laws or God won't love you. Follow these 600 laws or you're going to go to hell. That's what they would tell them. They didn't lead people towards God. They actually crushed them under the weight of rules and regulations that went along with their religion. Jesus came on the scene and he was so harsh to these guys publicly. In fact, everything I'm about to read to you is said in the town synagogue while Jesus was teaching to hundreds, maybe thousands of people at times, where the religious leaders are in the crowd, everyone else is in the crowd, and Jesus confronts them publicly, verbally. And again, these were all the power brokers in the culture. So think about that. As I read this, he's saying this to everybody in the room, and everybody knows who he's talking to. Matthew 23, verse 4. They, the religious people, crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. What sorrow, verse 13, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. The Pharisees and Sadducees were the two main groups of religious leaders in uh, biblical days when, when the New Testament was written. What, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves and you don't let others in. Uh, you don't let others enter either. I mean, he's basically going, look, you're not getting into heaven as much as you think you are and you're leading. You're not. And you're holding people back from entering heaven as well. Um, Jesus goes on. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell that you yourselves are. I'm like, come on, tell me that wouldn't like, like really like get under your skin there. Like I've just me personally, I've never been called Satan's spawn. Okay, I've never been called that uh, privately or publicly. Um, but in Matthew 23, Jesus does this seven times. It's called the seven woes of the Pharisees, where he says, "Woe to you if you're going to do this. This is what you are." And, and the two I read aren't even the harshest ones. Like it gets worse. And so, what do you guys think the religious leaders did? We think they did. They, they went, you know, I think he's right. I think we need to change our ways. Let's follow Jesus. No, they said, let's kill him. That's what they did. They're like, hey, great. I can't believe he did that. Let's, let's plot to murder Jesus um, the first chance we get. And so the rest of the story, once Jesus started doing that, is kind of them plotting and finally succeeding in crucifying Jesus. And so the road home for today is, is really a road away from rule following and works-based religiosity that breeds sorrow and fear. 
And that road gets us back to what Jesus brought to us, which is a personal relationship with God through him. And I will just tell you, I think religion is why the church is losing ground in reaching people. Religion is why. I don't think people are looking for rules to follow. I believe what people are looking for, what I'm looking for, is a transcendent relationship with the creator of the universe. That's what I believe people are looking for, a connection with him that will ultimately lead to three things. Because there's three things that, that I come up with that, man, I really want in a relationship with God. I want a purposeful, significant, fulfilling existence on this planet as long as I have here. That's what I want. I want help and direction in my life, my everyday life, to become the man that I believe I can be, but I just can't seem to get there on my own strength and willpower. I want help to become that guy. And then I want, at the end of my life, I want the security of knowing that I'll be spending eternity in heaven. I think that's what people want. I think that's what people are looking for. We want a significant existence on this planet. We want help to become the best versions of ourselves because we can't seem to get there on our own. And we want the security of knowing that when we take our last breath here, we know where our next breath will be. And you know what? Jesus makes it clear that rule following doesn't get you that. Jesus makes it clear that, that doing everything right, checking all the boxes, does not equal those three things, but a relationship with him does. And so I want to give you three thoughts on a relationship with Jesus to get you thinking differently about what that means. And some of these are thoughts from a guy named Brian Tome, he's a pastor at a Crossroads Church up in Ohio, and I've kind of adapted them for him, but it really got me thinking a little differently about a relationship with Jesus, because it's not about rules. Jesus came to establish a relationship. And so here's my first thought, a relationship with Jesus exceeds education. A relationship with Jesus exceeds education. Jesus goes beyond education. He goes beyond what we believe and know and even beyond what we do. He wants to use truth and knowledge in our lives, but we cannot use thoughts and beliefs and knowing stuff as a substitute for a relationship with God. So Jesus goes beyond Christian education to a real personal relationship where it's not about how much you know or how robust your beliefs are. Or how well you adhere to the rules. It's about relationship. And I'll tell you, I think this is part of the reason why American church attendance is especially decreasing with men. I really do. This is why I think the church is missing out on reaching men. Because the average American church is more about Christian education. And men aren't up for going to places and just learning more information. Especially when we go into a place and everybody seems to know more than us. We're just not up for that. And so women, I'm just going to let you in on a little secret, and there's not a guy in here. Um, if you get them alone and you get them in just the right moment, they might admit to this, but I'm just going to pull back the veil a little bit on dudes. Um, most men, most men that I know are incredibly insecure, okay? If you didn't know that, um, guys, we're just insecure. We don't want anybody to know that, so we kind of hide behind our huge muscles, well, I do, and, uh, and just thumping our chest and acting all like we've got this bravado, but we are more insecure than we look, okay? I'll just tell you that. Um, don't Please don't tweet that out or anything because I just can't handle the backlash. I'm insecure. Um, no, I, but most men are not up for doing something where they're the slow person in the class. That's just not something that men run to and go, yay, let's be dumb. Like, that's just not it. We don't want to go someplace where we don't know the rules or, or we don't know how to do something. We don't want that at all. So when, when most churches focus on the retainment of Bible knowledge, a new guy comes into and the guy teaching says, well, we all know that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Well, no, we don't all know that. 
Well, you know, in, in, in Acts 3, chapter, you know, chapter 3, verse 7, you know, we all know. It's like, no, we don't all know that. Many churches make the average guy feel stupid. And I'll just tell you, for me, I don't want to feel stupid. I don't want to feel stupid in my life. And I'll just say, this is a silly example, but, but I will just tell you this, um, and I will just reveal a little bit of, of uh, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of transparency here. Um, I've only been to two lacrosse games in my entire life, and I didn't even make it through the full, either one of them. I don't even watch it on TV. And I know some of you love lacrosse. I'm so sorry. I don't hate you. I just don't like lacrosse. I've only been to two games and didn't even stay the whole time. The first one I went to, and here's, I'll just tell you why. The, the first one I went to was a buddy of mine's. It was his high school son, and it was years and years ago. And as I watched, I had no clue what was going on in the field. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen lacrosse. It's weird. It's like the ball, they throw the ball, they stop, they start, they run into each other. Then there's penalties sometimes. There's not penalties other times. And their score goes up to crazy. You never know what the score is. You don't know why the referees are blowing their whistle. It's like the whole time I was at the game, all I kept asking was, was what happened? Why did they blow the whistle? What did they do? And, and the people around me, to the point where the people around me were getting annoyed. Like, I heard them sigh because every time something happened, like, what was that? Why did that happen? And it was so funny. The guy that I was with, his, he was new to the sport. He had no clue. He's like, man, I don't know either, but man, isn't Steven fast? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, good. He's quick. Like, explain this to me. And he had no clue. He didn't know. And I'll just tell you this. Uh, you, you know, uh, maybe I'm a bit insecure, but lacrosse is a game that I don't understand. I'm slow in understanding, and I feel stupid at. I just do. Now, I got a couple of buddies whose sons play lacrosse. I'm going to some games this spring. I will get back to you on if I'm still dumb after a few games of actually knowing what's going on. But I'll just tell you this. No man wants to feel stupid. No guy wants to go to a place that makes you feel stupid if you don't know what you should be knowing, if you don't do what you should be doing. Um, and this actually puts barriers between people and God, which is why God hates religion. He hates it when it is reduced to a formula and it is reduced to following rules and being educated because it keeps people from a relationship with him. It's why Jesus was against the religious leaders of his day. A relationship is not about knowing more facts and information. It's about growing in your relationship with Jesus. First and foremost, knowledge, Christian education, what does it do? It helps us get to know Jesus and understand God more. But it is not the end game. It is not the end game. Relationship is the end game. Now, am I saying I'm against Christian education and knowledge? No, that's not. That's the reason we're building the 246, is so that we can grow in our knowledge and understanding of, of, of Jesus. But if education and knowledge are the focus, you will end up like the religious leaders. That was the focus. You'll know more than others, which will lead to ego and arrogance and creating a place where you have those that know and those that don't. Because education is the focus. Knowledge is great. It doesn't build the church, though. It doesn't build relationship with God. Love does that. There's an interesting exchange in Scripture where the Apostle Paul, who was one of the leaders of the early church, um, he fielded constant questions. Because you got to understand, the people before Jesus, all they knew was religion. All they knew was rules. All they knew was 627 rules that if I want to be close to God, I got to do all these things like the religious leaders. That's all they knew. So Paul was constantly fielding questions about the rules and the law. And so we've got this uh, in 1 Corinthians 8. Um, the people were asking if they could eat food sacrificed to idols because in the old religious system, they couldn't. Um, but they were saying, like, can we eat food sacrificed to idols because it's steak? And I love me some porterhouse. You know, that's like, that's what they're thinking. They're like, please, I just want want to eat some of this meat that we keep throwing away, um, they didn't want it to go to waste. And so they were struggling with what to do because it used to be against the law. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul 8, Paul, 
Paul answers and he points them away from rules to relationship. This is what he says. He says, now about food sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Knowledge puffs up the ego. It separates people to those who are in the know and those who aren't. Rules separate. But love builds up, strengthens, and encourages. What is he doing? He's pointing to relationship. Why? Because no religious activity that you will ever do in your life will give you grace, forgiveness, and love. No religious knowledge that you have will ever give you grace, forgiveness, and love. Only Jesus does. The person of Jesus Christ. That is where you get grace, love, and, 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 and understanding and, and, and hope from. It's Jesus alone. Now, again, I'm not talking down about becoming more knowledgeable. That's the whole point of the 246 is to help all of us grow in that. But a relationship with Jesus exceeds education. It's more important than that. That's my first thought. Second thought. A relationship with Jesus embraces directives. Embraces directives. This is going to sound in contradiction to the first one, but it's not. So let's just journey with this one. A relationship with Jesus embraces directives, which is interesting in today's world. Back 10, 15 years ago, um, we as a culture were just different. People did um, what God wanted them to because it was the right thing to do or they just felt like God wanted them to and we were much more pliable then. But today, we're a lot more independent in the way we live. We want to do what we want to do. And if the God that we have won't let us do what we want to do, we, we will go find another God that will be okay with however we want to live our life because we don't want to change what we do and we don't really want to change what we believe yet. In any relationship, any relationship that is good, there are directives you live by in the relationship, whether they're spoken or not. Like, think, think this through with me. There are things you do in a relationship that's good. There are directives that you follow that you might not agree with and you don't even like, but there are things you do because of the relationship. So this is the case with Melissa and I, okay? I'll, I'll just tell you a little bit about our home. I, I, do different, I do dishes differently now than I used to do when we got married. So we're, we're married 22 years in April. Um, I do dishes very different because we all know that there's a right way and a wrong way to do dishes, right? We all know this. Um, let me tell you the right way to do dishes. This is the right way to do dishes. As you go, you get up in the morning, you grab your bowl out of the, you know, you open the cabinet, you grab your bowl and you, you make your oatmeal and you eat your oatmeal and you enjoy your oatmeal and then you take your bowl and you put the spoon in it because that's important and then you put it in the sink and you turn the water on and you fill it with water because you don't want crusties in the bottom of your bowl and you shut off the water and you walk away. Like that's the correct way to do dishes. And then same thing for lunch. You come back for lunch and you, you get your plate out, you make your chili dogs and you eat your chili dogs and then you go back and you, you take your plate, you put it in the, in the sink and you put water on it because you don't want chili dog uh, like stuff turning into concrete on your plate and then you fill it with a little bit of water and you walk away and that, that's the right way to do dishes. And you do that until you go to your pantry and you go to grab a plate and there's no plates anymore. Isn't that fascinating? And you go, man, what in the heck? And then you look, you're like, oh, you got to go do the dishes. So that's the correct way to do dishes. Well, let me just tell you, when I do that and just leave it there, Melissa doesn't feel loved. When I do that, when I wash dishes the right way, she doesn't feel loved. When we first got married, um, I, would do, uh, I would do that after dinner because my family um, just piled up dishes. We would eat dinner, we would throw them in the sink, run a little water on them, and then go like relax because we're all in a food coma. And then we would come back and get to the dishes later on that night or not, depending on how the night went. Well, Melissa's family and her family, they did them right after dinner. Like, they, they didn't stop until everything was put away, and then they went and relaxed. Well, again, there's a right way and a wrong way to do 
dishes. Guess which way is the right way in our household? Yeah, we don't sit down until everything's clean and put away, okay? That's just the way it works. Every relationship is this way. When you go on a ride on motorcycles with, with groups, the rules are show up on time and have your tank full. And when you don't do that, when you show up late, you're basically saying, hey, my time's more important than everybody else's. And when your tank isn't full, you're basically saying, I don't care how long we ride because we're going to ride as long as I have gas and I'm going to make everybody stop. That's just the way it works. And so this ends up being what we say to God sometimes where we say, I know, I know what you say. I know you say this, but I think my ways are better than yours. And I think I can handle this. And I think you'll get over it. And we'll just do things my way, which causes a massive break in the relationship. Just like if Melissa over and over and over just said, hey, I feel unloved when you do dishes the way that you've, you do them. And I just go, deal. Your problem. Get over it. I think that caused a pretty massive break in the relationship. And you're like, but it's dishes. But over time, what happens? It's not about dishes anymore. It's about the relationship. That's why Jesus in John 14, he says, uh, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. What is he doing? He is speaking in relational terms. If you love me, if you are in relationship with me, then out of that love, embrace my directives. And I think he's just saying, would you just trust me? I created you. I created life. I created everything that you know. Would you just trust me that I know what I'm talking about? Would you trust me that my ways are better than yours? Would you trust me and embrace the directives that allow you and I to have a love-based relationship? Reveal your love by doing life my way. And so someone in a real relationship with Jesus embraces his directives when it comes to relationships, when it comes to money and sex and marriage and parenting and church and prayer and quiet time and lifestyle and time management, not because you have to, but because of the relationship to keep it strong and love-filled and moving forward because you want to. You embrace directives. A relationship with Jesus exceeds education. It embraces directives. And the third I'm going to give to you um, in just a second, we're going to um, receive our offering now. Um, so ushers, if you guys can come on down, um, we're going to receive that. And for those of you that are back from Christmas and this is your first time back with us, I just want to tell you we're not interested in your money. Um, you can, uh, this one's a freebie. Next week's 20 bucks. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, literally just let the basket go by. We're just grateful that you're here and you're starting your year with us. I hope this service is a gift to you. Um, from those of you that call Kensington home, this is really where we give back to God and we embrace a directive where Jesus says, give back to me from what I've given to you and I'll bless you. Um, it's one of the, one of the, one of the ones that actually has a promise attached. And so, um, for those of you that, that give financially here and keep us rolling on mission, thank you for that. And, uh, and you, uh, I just, we just appreciate your continued support. Um, so let me give you this last thought. A relationship with Jesus encourages love. 
A relationship with Jesus encourages love. It exceeds education. A relationship with Jesus embraces directives, and a relationship with Jesus encourages love. Um, in Matthew 22, Jesus is asked a question from our buddies, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and um, they're trying to trap him. They're trying to get him, get him caught so they can accuse him of something wrong. Um, Matthew 22, verse 36, teacher, what's the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, here it is again. What are they asking? A religious question. Jesus came to teach them something different, but they keep going back to religion. They want to know, Jesus, out of all the 627 laws and rules and regulations, which is the most important? What's the number one thing to which Jesus answers with a relational answer? And I'll just tell you, if you go and you read through scriptures, read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you read the, the, what Jesus said and what he did, you will constantly see this. And that, I'll tell you, this year, make a commitment to read scripture. Open up God's word. Start in the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the New Testament, and just read on through. And what you will find as you watch what Jesus' interaction was with the religious people, they constantly asked him religious questions, and he constantly responded with relationship. Almost every time. Almost every time. Religious question, relational answer. Teacher, what's the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, verse 37, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And I love this answer because in three sentences, Jesus takes out 600 plus laws and regulations and boils them down to two. Love God, love others. You want to know what the rules are for following God? Love God, love others. Be in relationship with God and love other people like Jesus loved you. Out of your relationship with God through Jesus, embrace the directive to love one another. In John 13, 34, Jesus is saying, so I'm giving you a new commandment. He's like, I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm going to boil all 600 plus down. He's like, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have ordered, loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And what you find is that this is way less complicated, isn't it? And while it's less complicated, it's way more demanding. Way more demanding. Because it's about doing right by your neighbor. Always. Which gets me to this truth. I heard it at a conference a, a, a little while back. Um, Andy Stanley said he's a pastor out of Atlanta. And he said this, Christ's selfless love for me requires I do what's best for thee. Christ's selfless love for me requires I do what's best for thee. What does Christ's selfless love look like? It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's like my sin, my lack of following the directives, my brokenness is put on Jesus' back while he's on the cross. And Jesus' righteousness, his holiness is transferred to me so that when God looks at me, he doesn't see me and my sin. He sees my relationship with Jesus. He sees Jesus' holiness and righteousness that surpasses the most holy person that's ever lived on earth. And Christ, out of his love, for me, did what was best for me at massive cost to himself. Massive cost to himself. And he says, hey, look, just as I loved you, you are to love each other. 
which changes the question that we should be asking. If you are going to follow Jesus, it's not what is the right or the wrong thing to do or according to the law and according to the rules. The question we should be asking is, what does love require of me? What does love require of me in my marriage? And just think of how your, your life might change. If in your marriage you asked, what does love require of me? If in your parenting you asked, what does love require of me? If, if in your um, friendships at your workplace you asked, what does love require of me? In your relationships with people that you don't know, what does love require of me? It is way less complicated and way more demanding. Jesus didn't come to create a religion. He came to establish a relationship. And it's a relationship that exceeds education. It embraces directives and it encourages love, the kind of love that God has for you. And I'll just tell you this, if you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're on the edge and you finally are kind of like, I think I get it, I think I get it enough. I just want to tell you, the, the first Sunday of 2019, there's not a better Sunday to accept Jesus Christ into your life for the first time. And it really is as simple as just going, Jesus, I invite you in. Forgive me for my sins. I believe you are who you said you are. As much as I understand it, help me to live my life differently moving forward. And you can do that today. You can do that over the next few minutes is just give an invitation to Jesus to come in and forgive and change your life. And he will. He says he promises that he will. And I'll just tell you, the church should be one of the most welcoming, loving places available to people everywhere. That's what we're trying to build here. If you want to be a part of what we're doing here, we're trying to build a place that is the most uh, welcoming, loving places that people are going to find in their week-to-week -week life, in their day-to-day -day life. It's a place full of people in relationship with God who love God and love others and serve one another. And I'll just tell you, over the next few weeks, we're going to be inviting you to serve here. Those of you that aren't currently on one of our teams, we want to invite you to help us make this church that a place that's welcoming and loving where we serve one another. Because it's, 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 it's not only important for our community, it's important for you to be loving others on a regular basis for the sake of Jesus Christ. And that's why we serve. And so let me, let me pray for you. Then we're going we're, we're gonna to end our service just responding and spending some time with God. Um, Lord, I just thank you that you came to just change the way we interact with you, that you came to just take away the rules that did nothing but reveal how broken and, and dispirited and difficult um, we, we were and difficult life was. You came and you just brought understanding of a relationship with you and what that means. God, for those right now that are just ready to accept you into their life, Lord, I pray that you would just come in like a mighty rushing wind and that you would just bring your, the power of your Holy Spirit to give the strength to become what none of us can be on our own, but only can become through your power. And that is just the, the, the best versions of ourselves, Lord. I pray for those of us in the room, Lord, that have broken down our relationship with you and made it about rules and regulations and checking boxes and have pulled the relationship, the love relationship out of it. God, I pray that we would just step back into making the relationship the primary focus of our existence with you. And God, I pray that we would as a church, as we reach people this year, that we would be a place that fosters deep relational connections between those that don't know you and you. 
God, thank you for today. Thank you for the start of a new year. Thank you for a light in the sand moment where we can be different. And God, I pray that you would go before us as we continue to, to learn, grow, and become exactly what you've dreamed we could be. In your holy name, amen.